chapter 2. We covered the first 14 verses on Wednesday, and I want to take just a portion of this chapter and really look at it here this morning. I want to focus on verse 2. Um, the, our, our study for today is basically titled God's Gift to the World, and it's Christmas, and that's pretty appropriate. Um, it's amazing how wherever we seem to be in Scripture is, no matter what holiday, what day it is, God brings us to a, <coughs> a place of, here's my word, and it's for you today. Um, no matter where we are, it just continues to flow that way. But in 1 John chapter 2, there in verse 2, it makes this declaration, he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. We made a note on Wednesday that when it says here, also for the whole world, that Jesus's death is sufficient for all men of all time, of all categories of sin to redeem them to God. His death is sufficient for all men. Yet it's effectual, it's only applied to those who receive his work by faith. In other words, you can have a gift under a tree, you leave it under the tree, it still has your name on it, it's yours. But if you don't take it out of the tree, if you don't open it, if you don't make it yours, it's still yours, but it's never applied to you. So this is the gift. The gift is given to the world. It's given to all men. And I think what's interesting is that the Christmas is uniquely and wonderfully knitted together with the giving of gifts. I don't know if you've ever heard of that practice before, but when it's Christmas, people have a tendency of giving gifts. Um, some gifts are very thoughtful. Some gifts are very practical. Some gifts you kind of scratch your yarmulke and think, who did you get this from last year? Why are you now giving it to me? Do, did I offend you in some way? But in all ways, what's interesting, the, the, the Christmas and the giving of gifts are continually and beautifully knit together. And sometimes when you go shopping and, and you really want to show someone that, that, that the, the, the love, the, the honoring of them, those kind of things, sometimes when you go shopping, have you ever noticed that sometimes the gifts are out of your price range? And it's like, well, you know, I'd love to give you a car, but, you know, um, I'd love to give you another house, but, you know, I'd love to give you a boat, but, I'd love to give you, you know, even something little, but... And so the, the beautiful thing is that you can share your heart in something as simple as even a card. And, and I, I love the heart that, that, that God does because sometimes the, the, the gifts are so far out of our, our price range. But then sometimes we get a gift that we ourselves would have enjoyed and wanted but have, could have never afforded. Someone just blesses you with this and is like, oh, my goodness, thank you for this gift. And, you know, it, it's amazing how God does that. And periodically, it may be a, a check. It could be just something that you've desired, but it's like, oh, man, that would be nice to have, but I could never afford that. And a lot of times, that's the beauty of gifts is that we receive things that we could have never purchased on our own. And understand that salvation is one of those things. Salvation is a gift that you could have never purchased. You, 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 you could have never earned it. And the amazing thing about salvation, this is the one gift you can't even give it away. You can't even say, oh, I got it, now I want to give it to you. You, you can't. You can't give this gift. It's, it's yours and only yours and will always and forever be yours. But understand, to you and to the world, salvation is a free gift. It's absolutely free. Something we didn't earn, something we couldn't buy, but it is a free gift. And all you have to do is accept it. But sometimes when it comes to gifts, our newest granddaughter, Elena, beautiful. Oh, she is gorgeous. She has this second chin. 
that is forever present on her, and she is just, oh my goodness, adorable. Well, she got a gift yesterday, but at two months, she did not do a whole lot of opening. Her mom had to do the work for her. And I thought, that's kind of interesting because although her mom had to do all the work, it's kind of like that for us. Because the Bible itself, this Bible that we hold in, the, in our hands, as we open the Bible, the gift of the person, the work of Jesus Christ is unwrapped. So every time you read a verse you begin to see a little bit more on what's the inside. Every time you read a chapter, you see a little bit more what's on the inside. Every time you read a book, you see every time you open the Bible and you read the, 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 the gift that is inside, the gift of Jesus Christ and salvation becomes a little clearer. It's unwrapped verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And so it's so amazing that when we were going in Zephaniah, we saw Christ, and now we're in 1 John, and we see Christ. And no matter what, it seems to be that in the volume of the book, it is written of him to do the will of God. And so we looked to this, and we worshiped this, and we said, Lord, this is what it is. And so the, the true understanding of the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus and the gift of salvation is unveiled. Layer by layer, we begin to see the beauty that is Jesus, the beauty that is his work. And so as we understand the, the whole issue of Christmas and gift giving, we'll never fully understand who this person, Jesus, is, how he was God and he came to earth as a man, that he was the child that was born, but at the same time, he was the son that was given. Now, John, in his epistle in the first chapter, tries to get us to be really clear on it because he says in the second verse, is this eternal life, this, this life that was there in the beginning, it was an eternal life. He wasn't God was eternal, and then he created Jesus, and then Jesus created everything else. It doesn't say that. John very distinctly says this eternal life. Jesus Christ was eternal. And that eternal life, he also says there in 1 John chapter 1, verse 2, the life was manifested. This eternal life that has always been now came to earth. Unto us a child was born. It was manifested. But unto us, a son, the eternal God, the second person in the Trinity, one who is God, who's always been God, equal with God, not considering it robbery to be equal with God. He makes himself of no reputation, coming in the form of man. As a form of man, he takes on this place of a bondservant, and he serves humanity, so much so that he serves to the point of death, so that we could have life. And I find it just so beautiful here that we look layer after layer after layer and we begin to see the beauty of this gift. But understand, there's some people who can read the Bible and they're not illuminated to see the beauty of the gift. I've had people tell me, I've read the Bible and yet they have no desire to worship God. They have no desire to accept the work of Jesus Christ. And they really don't feel that there's a need. They think, well, I can work myself into this place of salvation. You know, me and God, we're kind of like this. He knows me. I know him. And uniquely, you can tell that there's this issue between the relationship because they call him the man upstairs. Okay, then. I don't know about you, but... I don't ever see God as the man upstairs. And if I do, find another church because he is almighty God. And Jesus is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And so as we see this, one of the things that we begin to note here is that it's all about gifts. And, and how beautiful is it that the gifts in Christmas are just linked and so in a sense, I love that. I love the heart. Now, when we look to gifts, of course, everyone in our mind, we instantly go to, you know, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he did what? 
he gave. Here you go. It's a gift. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever. Now, see, now this is where it's not effectual for everyone. He loved the world. His gift was given to the world, and so the whole world can receive it. It's sufficient enough for all the world to believe and all the world to come to faith. His blood on the cross is that powerful, and he did it for the world, and we'll see that a little bit more as we go on in this study. But I think it's important to realize that he so loved the world that he gave his only son. But whoever, see, it's effectual to whoever would believe. But the point, bottom point is anyone can believe. And so we see here it's a gift. He gave his only son. And so realize that it was this offering that he does for us, a gift that we could never purchase, a gift that we could never comprehend fully all that it does. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever had technology, and one of the things that's unique is now we have these smartphones. And one of the interesting things about the smartphones is it is a lot smarter than us. And, and to be honest with you, that there are phones and they do all kinds of things. And yet we really only use our phones for calling, for texting, for maybe looking at the calendar and for maybe putting in notes and, you know, accessing, you know, a website if you need it or accessing your email if you need it. And yet these phones do everything. And these phones do more than I will ever comprehend. Our youngest grandson, little Lowell, he's only about 15 months. And yet the, the thing is, is every grandchild has had this one little app that I do. It's, a, it's an app that has a kitten on it. And the weird thing about this kid, it just gives them something to do with me, and they play it. We, you know, teach them a little bit about things. But you, you, you push the kitten's nose, and fur balls pop out. And then you take your finger, and you wipe the floor, and the fur balls go into a basket. And as you save enough fur balls, you can then trade in the fur balls for another cat. Now, if you've ever had a cat or you've ever had a dog, you'll realize that they shed enough fur in your house to make another cat and to make another dog. They're like, they're, we should have at least a dozen cats and at least a dozen dogs for as much fur is around. But when you collect enough fur, you can make a cat. And you go, oh, I know that. And so what he does is he's pushing the nose. I teach him to push the nose. I teach him to, to, to touch the floor, wipe the floor, and he's collecting these fur balls. And, of course, all the grandchildren want their turn at collecting these fur balls. But little Lowell does something amazing. If I'm not watching him, he will turn on the phone, and even if it's off, he'll turn it on, and he'll access things on my phone that I don't even know He'll go and he'll, he accessed my photos. He found a photo of him and me, and he blew it up. He took his little 14 months, he blew it up, and then he showed me. And I'm like, kid, who are you? You know, I'm in my 50s. I can't do that. This is, this is intriguing to me. And so we realize that it does a whole lot more than we can ever fathom. And I think something amazing is that's the work of Jesus Christ. That it's so much more that we could ever comprehend. And so, yeah, he died and he redeemed us and he gave us eternal life. But every time we do a layer of a verse or a layer of a chapter, a layer of a book, we find out what that life we can live now is, how they're gifts of the Holy Spirit, how there's manifestations, how not only has he blessed us in this life, giving us the Holy Spirit to guide us, his word to lead us, to be that lamp unto our feet, but then he gives us eternity, then we realize more and more what this eternity is going to look like, that we become children, we have an inheritance. All these things are added to that gift. And Layer after layer, these things are unwrapped through the word of God. And I'm so grateful that what he does is he gives us these 
areas of illumination. And yet, if you've ever had, you know, a, a thing to try to figure out what all does this mean, what all can this do, there are, are texts that I don't even know fully understand everything that a smartphone can do. But God tries to illuminate enough. So even though we may not be able to do everything the phone can do, we still have one. We still use it. We still are, are applying this phone. I still use it to call. I still use it to text. Ta-da! You know, I've got everything that I need. And yet we begin to see here that there's so much more to this gift. Paul, when writing to the church in Rome, he makes a statement in, in Romans 6.23. I want to read it to you. It says, for the wages of sin and death. This is what we all are. This is us prior to the gift of God. We've earned death. That is our reward. That is our wages for our life. It's the wages for one, we were born with a sin nature, and it's wages because we made it evident throughout our lives that, yes, I have a sin nature. But the wages of sin is death, and he says this, but the gift, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's life, yes, but understand it's life in Christ Jesus. Do you understand that you can live a life and then you can live a life in Christ Jesus? And this is the beautiful thing about it, is it's not just I get to live an eternal life. No, 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 that's not it. I get to live a life in Christ Jesus. It's one of those things where some people would say, I get to live a life in Milwaukee versus I get to live a life in Hawaii. Or to some people, I get to live a life in Alaska. Or to some people, I get to live a life in Florida. Or, you know, or I get to live a life in Arizona. And pick where you want. I get to live a life up in the, 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 the woods, you know. And some want a beach, some want the woods. But you can say, oh, but I'm here. <sighs> if I could only... You understand the life in Christ blows everything else away. It just, everything else pales in comparison because of who Christ is and the life that we have in him. The life of joy, the life of happiness, the life of peace, the life of hope, the life eternal. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this life that I now live in the faith, I live by faith in the this life that, that he now lives in me. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the heart. And as we see here, I love the fact that the wages of sin and death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful place to be. One other I just want to share with you, and it's, it's one that you know, and so I'm just going to simply read it to you. But in the book of Ephesians, the epistle that Paul wrote, in chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it makes a statement, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, all of us will never fully understand the enormity of that grace. All the times that God says, okay, here you are, you're mine, and you're still doing this, and yet he doesn't judge us. There's grace that comes. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Amen. And he goes on to say, not of works lest anyone should boast. This gift is just this incredible thing. It is simply this beautiful gift of God. The gift of Jesus Christ, the gift of his work on the cross. And so we begin to see that this is the gift of God. And it's given to us. We haven't earned it. We couldn't afford it. We couldn't purchase it. But it, God says, oh, you need this. Oh, you need this. And there's some people, like, I don't need that. Why would I need that? My life is good enough on its own. It was one of those things that you don't really know what you're missing until you actually have something that is, is different. See, I was very content with the typewriter. I thought the typewriter is really all I would ever need. I can, I can, you know, I mean, it's a little bit faster than, you know, pen and paper, a little bit neater, and it makes it smaller and condensed, and I can kind of see the flow, and 
why would I need to adapt? And then all of a sudden, computers came out, and I thought, you know, typewriters are great because now they're electric. You know, it used to be the manual, and it upgrades to electric. You're like, wow, I have everything. And so I would, I would, you know, send out letters, and, and if I would send to some missionary friends in the Ukraine, I would have to do it by fax. And so I could eventually get a hold of his number, um, saying, hey, I'm going to be sending you a fax, and then he'd turn on his fax. And so I spent $15 telling him, here comes a fax. And then I would send the fax, and I would spend another $15 getting him the list. And so it worked out well. I thought, this is amazing. And then computers came out. And with computers came this incredible program called DOS. And like, blow my mind. That there was actually this thing now where I could go and do an online service called CompuServe DOS. And it was amazing. Uh, oh, this is great. I could actually type an email and push a button and send it to him. And I just saved 30 bucks. So excited. And it was great. And then eventually what was happening is it got more and more advanced. And I thought, what do you ever need besides this computer? And then, thing of all things, they took the phone off the wall, they took computers off the desk, and they stuck it in a phone. And my kids were like, this is incredible technology. And I look at it and say, it's nice for you, but I have a computer, and I have a phone. As a matter of fact, I'm so advanced now, you, you never believe this, I have a track phone. I have a phone that I can dial, and I can text, and it is great. I pay $10 a month. Look at what you guys are doing. And eventually, what began to happen is this. My son needed an additional phone. He says, I'll tell you what, Dad, um, I need another phone, um, and I have a plan. I'm going to, if you're okay, I'll put you on my plan just for two years, and I'll give you my old phone, and, and then you'll have a, um, I'll get this new phone, and it's only going to cost you 10 bucks a month, and I thought, deal. I wrote him a check. He gave me his phone, pulled it over, and all of a sudden, this phone did stuff amazing. And, and what this phone allows me to do is to tap into the group me apps. That I can, I can at a moment get a prayer request from the church and say, could you be praying for this? And it's like, wow, thank you. I don't have to wait for a Sunday and look at the prayer request to see if someone's put it on there. There's amazing communication that goes back and forth. I can, I can tune into a message. I can, I can, you know, go to our Facebook app, and I can make changes if I need to. I can post, hey, here's our, our, our study for Sunday, and you're going to see this little blue box with red polka dots and, and this red ribbon upon it sitting on planks. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And, and I'm thinking, this is so beautiful because the, the, the planks is what? It's the wood. It's the cross. And, and so when, when it comes to that area of the, the, the cross, you have this blue box, which is sitting, the, the, the gift of blue unto us, uh, you know, the, the, the sun is given. And then you have that, that red wrapping, the, the, the correlate, the, the scarlet cord of redemption that, that goes through there. And then you see these red dots, the blood. And it's like, oh, my goodness, all this stuff. And I know when you came in there, you saw all that. He said, this is incredible. Everything in this thing points to Jesus Christ. And all it is is this little blue box sitting on a plank. But you guys knew it's so much more than that. It's this gift of God. And we begin to see here that the Lord begins to show us it's all about him. And this is what Jesus does. When we see here in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, he himself is the propitiation, the satisfaction. We are now, the, the wrath of God is satisfied by Jesus Christ. He himself is that satisfying of God's wrath. He himself makes us, you know, um, beautiful in the beloved, in, in, you know, before God. He is the propitiations for our sins, <clears throat> and not only for ours only, but also for the world. And this is important because 
we as Christians, we tell people, oh, Jesus is the reason for the season. And I have no problem telling that. Now, 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 now here's the question. Do you believe that you can tell anyone, anyone in the world, that Jesus died on the cross for them? Can you tell anyone in the world? Or are you limited to who you can tell? See, there's some people you may not want to tell, but can you tell anyone in the world? You can go to any single person in the world and make a declaration to say, Jesus died on the cross for you, and it would be a true statement. It would just be true. You can go to anyone in the world and say, Jesus died on the cross for you. And you can also say that by receiving this gift, by you accepting this gift of salvation, that you will be forgiven and accepted by God and be able to be eternally in heaven with him. See, that's the wonderful thing. And that's why he said, not only for us. Do you understand what John is trying to say? That he is the propitiation for our sins. Yes, for me and you and all he be who believe. He is the propitiation. He is the satisfaction. That, that we recognize his death satisfies the wrath of God for our sins. But then he says, but not only for ours. See, he is for ours, we understand that, but, he's, but not only for yours. Just in case that you think this is only for you and me, and the message needs to be kept here, he goes, but also for the whole world. You and I can go to anyone in the world and tell them that Jesus died on the cross for them. This is so in incredible. And if a person comes to you, and, and, and it really is sincerely coming and asking and say, did Jesus die for me? Can I receive him as Lord and Savior? Who would go to that person and say, not unless you're the elect? Can you understand that you, you, you don't limit this work? The work is limited by those who receive, yes. But it, it, is, it is not limited to what Jesus Christ has done. And so understand that there is this term called general redemption or unlimited atonement. It's a biblical term. And, and so what this general redemption is, is that it's for everyone. Anyone, whosoever wills, can, can receive this gift. And, and I think it's important to realize that, that when it comes to the, the gift being unlimited. The gift is to the world. It's important for us to be able to make this declaration, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And I want to be able to tell that to anyone. And anyone who comes to me and asks, did Jesus die for me? I want to say, yes, he did. Can I accept him as my Lord and Savior? Yes, you can. And I want to be able to make this declaration. Now, now, now keep in mind that the cross did not save everyone in the world. The cross didn't save. I, I've known people, and before I came to accept Jesus Christ, his work on the cross was there. It could have saved me, but I didn't accept it. I didn't receive it. So the, just because he died on the cross doesn't mean that every single person in the world now is going to be in heaven. So you have to understand that although his blood was shed for everyone, and his blood, everyone has this gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Their, their name is on that gift. And so when you have this, insert your name here, take it, receive it, it's yours. There are some people who believe that because Jesus died on the cross, everyone is going to go to heaven. And sadly, that's not true. Everyone can go. So you understand the balance that here John is trying to say. He said, oh, it is ours. And, and this here substitution, this satisfaction of God's wrath for our sins through the work of Jesus Christ is ours, but it's also for the world. It's also given to them. Now, we ourselves have received it so that we're blessed by this, but they themselves must receive it. And so we begin to see here that, that Jesus made atonement 
for everyone in the world. But it's a fact does not take effect apart from believing in his work, receiving him as Lord and Savior. See, the cross makes salvation open to be received, but the cross doesn't save those who do not receive. It's still theirs. They can receive at any time. And I think it's important to realize what does this cross do and what is this receiving thing? And so often what we do is we limit the grace of God by saying, well, they said this and they prayed this, but I don't see a whole lot of changes in their life. Does that mean that you know more than God knows? See, God knows everything. He knows the state of the heart. And, and when, when it comes to looking to the Lord and when it comes to receiving his work, there's two passages that you should be aware of. The first is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 3. And you, if you move up from verse 16, it makes this statement here in John 3, verse 14. Jesus, speaking to Nicodemus, makes this declaration, as is Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Verse 15, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So he makes this statement, as, as Moses lifted up the servant, I am lifted up, and whoever believes in me. So, so who is this whoever? How does that work? How does that pan out? Well, Jesus actually helps us out by saying, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. What do you mean by that? There's a passage in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 21, and in verses 4 through 9, as the children of Israel are going through the wilderness, something crazy begins to take place with the children. It says this in Numbers chapter 21, beginning in verse 4, And then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way, and the people spoke against Mo against God and against Moses, saying, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Do you understand that every single day God gave them manna? Manna. Absolutely incredible. Now, 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 there, there's a whole thing that you can determine how much manna is required to feed over 2 million people. And you would need approximately three trains pulling 11 cars of those fuel cars. Now, though those fuel cars can, can hold something like 11,000 gallons these things, if you've ever seen a tray with fuel cars, you, you need basically just train after train after train after pulling these things. And, and every day, God supplied that. Every single morning, he gave that to the nation of Israel. Enough to feed to have um, a little more than half a gallon, a little more than half a gallon of, of, of manna for every single man, woman, and child. That blows my mind. And they would look at this provision of God and says, our soul loathes it. And so there's a area where they are not in on God's plan. So verse 6, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people died. And therefore the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord, against you, and the Pray to the Lord that he may take away the, serpent, the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Now understand, the people are saying, take away the serpents. Take it away. How many times have we asked God, just, just take the desire for sin away. I don't want it. I don't want it. Take it away. Take it away. And it's amazing. There are certain sins God does take away, but there are certain sins he does leave. And there are those people who say, well, if God really wanted me to forsake this sin, he would have taken it away. Not necessarily. Because keep in mind that, that after God brought the children of Israel through the Red Sea, miraculously, what did they do? Nothing. They just walked. 
They walked. Israel rode on chariots and horsemen, and some of them were, and then the water came back down. Egyptian army died. Israel lives new life. But when they're in the wilderness, all of a sudden, they get attacked by these people called the Amalekites. And then something unique. God doesn't just say, stand back, watch me open the ground, swallow them. He doesn't do that. He says, okay, you're going to have to fight against them. And Joshua is told by Moses, get some guys together, you're going to fight. And what happens is, I'm going to go up on a mountain with Aaron and her, and, and we're going to intercede for you. And as the rod of God is raised, there's a victory that Joshua has. As Moses' hand gets tired, the rod goes down, and the Amalekites begin to have victory. So Aaron and, and her hold up. They, they get a stone, put Moses on it. They hold up Moses' hands while he's holding up the rod, and all of a sudden there's a victory. And God says to, to Moses, write this down and recount it in the hearing of Joshua. There are certain battles that you need to fight and win. And you have to partake of the battle. You have to fight this battle. And understand the battle is going to be won through prayer, through intercession, through going before the Lord and saying, God, I need your power. I need your victory. You can do this. Because every time the, the intercession goes up, the victory is there. When it stops... Victory is in jeopardy. And so we begin to see here that the, the people say, get rid of the serpents. Get rid of them. And this is what God does. Verse 7, therefore the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord against you and prayed to the Lord that he will take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent set on a pole. And it shall be that whoever... If anyone is bitten, when he looks at it, he shall live. So he takes this fiery serpent, makes it a bronze. He makes a bronze fiery serpent, and he sets it upon a pole. The unique thing about the pole is the proper word should be a standard. What's a standard? Well, they would have certain flags to represent each one of the tribes, and each one of the tribes would see their, their flag. Now, the flag wasn't like our flag, you know, the, where you see the stars and the stripes and they're all rectangle. The flag, the standard that they would have would be sort of like a triangle. You would have two things tied to the top and the bottom one tied to a, a stick. So it'd be like a, a really, really large T made of wood. And so this is what the standard would be. And so you, you would look at this piece of wood that was in the shape of a cross. And he said, then you take a bronze serpent, serpent, of course, being that judgment of sin, bronze being the metal of judgment. And so you put that on top of the cross Sin is judged on the cross. And if anyone looks at it, he says, he'll live. And, and this is amazing. You don't have to look with faith. You don't have to look with determination. You don't have to look with, oh, I'm looking now, Lord. You just have to look. Now, what if you doubted? What if you doubted the, the, the serpent could save you, but you still looked? You had enough faith to look. Would you live if you looked in doubt? Well, it says here, whoever looks at it. It doesn't say look, look, look in faith or look with confidence. If you look, if you have enough faith to look. And I love what the Lord does. He says, if you... If you can just look and sincerely look, you look and you just put your eyes, you're going to realize there's life here. And so Moses, verse 9, make this bronze serpent put on a pole, and if the serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. This is the gift. This is the gift. And it goes far beyond what we picture as grace. And, and this is what the Lord does. And as the Lord comes, he says, if, if you look, this is my gift to you. If, you. if you look at it to the point of saying, yeah, I, I want this gift, it's yours. But it is a gift, and it has to be received. There's a passage, you may want to jot it down, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. Then I'm going to jump to verses 19 and 20. But in 2 Corinthians 5, beginning verse 14, it says, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus. That if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all. Now, amazingly, he didn't die for some. 
He didn't just die for us. He died for all. Do you see what happens? He said, and, and this is the, the whole key. Because we understand here within this passage, because verse 14 says, For the love of God compels us because we judge that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So he died for all. And then we realize that now they need to what? Not live for themselves. They need to live for him who died for you. He's purchased you. He, he's earned you. And this is so beautiful. And so now we have this understanding, Christ, you died for all. So in verse 19, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Do you understand where we're so often, the scripture says again and again and again that this work was for the world. But keep in mind, the scripture also says again and again and again that whosoever would. See, if you were there in the wilderness and you didn't believe and say, I'm not looking at that serpent, I'm not looking at that serpent, you're going to die. But if you look, if you look, you live. You understand, this is the key. And, and anyone who was in the wilderness could do what? They could look at that serpent. Now, if someone did look at that serpent, you go, what kind of dunderhead are you? Just look. Look, look at everyone else who's living now that they've been bitten. Do you see what this is? And so we understand that here, verse 19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So he says, you can be reconciled. We have this term of reconciliation. And now verse 20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You understand? The gift is yours. Take it. Open it. Just because the gift has your name on, if you leave it alone, it is not truly yours. And I think it's important to recognize there's a real balance in this whole understanding of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Some want to, to just limit it. Some want to say, well, the work is for everybody. And both of those need to come into the middle a little bit because the work was for everybody. Anyone can receive it. If you can go to anyone in the world and say, Jesus died for you, and you would be telling them the truth. Not like, I'm going to tell you Jesus died for you, but <laughs> boy, no, he didn't. No, he did. But you can't say that the cross saved everyone, that everyone is going to go to heaven. There has to be this, this work that comes and is a part of really what here God is trying to do. I love what the writer of Hebrews does in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. He says, but we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. See, there, there, there's too many passages in the scripture to say that his work was limited. His work was unlimited. His work was given to all. The limitation is not on Christ's end. The limitation is on the hardness of men's hearts. He says, if anyone looks, you're saved. That's what he said to the people in the wilderness. If you look at that serpent, you're going to say, Jesus, like Moses who lifted up the serpent, if anyone looks on me, if they receive me, they will be saved. And I think it's so important that we understand how this work was done. And lest you think it's only this New Testament truth that is there as far as the atoning work of Jesus Christ, I'm going to take you to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. I'm going to read you two verses in this chapter. I'm going to read verses 6 and verse 10 so that you can grasp what's going on here. But Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. So what is that telling us? Every sheep goes astray. 
We have turned everyone to his own way. All of us have done what we thought was right for the time, right? I mean, who hasn't? This is what my life should be. This is what my life should look like. And this is what I want my life to go on. And yet scripture says we're astray when we don't follow the leading of the good shepherd. And so we see here, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And then it makes a statement, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Blows my mind. It's almost like, huh, Jesus died not just for our sins and was a propitiation for our sins, but also for the whole world. Sort of sounds like that. And we begin to understand the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Every sin is paid for. Now, when you get to God, if you don't have that gift to say, yeah, I've opened this gift that said my sins are paid in full. I have the righteousness of God. And you open it, comes into your heart. It's all yours. You walk into heaven with that. It's yours. You walk into heaven, leaving it on earth. And guess what? What about your sins? I got this covered. I did more good than bad. Oh, yeah, bring that one to God. And so we see here, and I love the fact that he laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then in verse 10 of Isaiah 53, it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, to... He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin... He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It pleased the Lord to put Jesus to death when you make his soul an offering for sin. It's not sins plural, it's sin. Everything that sin manifests itself as he made his soul an offering for sin. Not, not just the sin of the believers, this sin, period. It pleased the Lord that he laid on him the iniquity of his all, and, and as he put the iniquity of us all upon him, he then makes his soul an offering for that sin, an offering for that iniquity, and then through that, we see that we have redemption through the work of Jesus Christ, and I love I love what God is doing. So you can go to anyone and say, Jesus, Jesus died for your sins. And uniquely, I want to share with you one last passage to kind of help guide you. And it's found at the very end of the Bible. And just in case you're like, well, maybe God changed his mind along the way, you're going to realize as we go through Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, that he didn't change his mind. It's, it's been there from the beginning, and it will always be there. So in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, it says, and the spirit and the bride say, come. You gotta love God. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, Come. And it makes a statement, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Do you understand? He knits the truth of the work of Jesus Christ beautifully. Come, come, come. The spirit and the bride says, come. We who hear, we tell them, come. That God is pleading with them. The spirit is pleading with them. The bride is pleading with them. The bridegroom is pleading with them. All we who hear, pleading with them, come. If you're thirsting, come. But here's the key. Whoever desires, let him take. Do you understand? Everyone can come. Everyone can come. And there's some who are going to walk away from this beautiful gift, who say, I'm not thirsty. I don't want this water. My soul loathes this. I want to get my own water. I want to hew out myself my own cisterns. 
I don't want living fresh water every day. I want to make my own stale water that I can say, I've made this water. But keep in mind, you keep digging that cistern, eventually you find a crack and it holds no water. All your work, you're going to find out at the very end, you still thirst. And there's only one source of refreshing. And Jesus says what? Come to me, all you who thirst. All you, and out of your hearts will flow torrents of living water. You will be so satiated, it will be overflowing you, and you'll be refreshing others around you. This is the beauty of what we begin to see here is God's gift. And that's why the title of the message was God's gift to the world. God's gift to the world. And I want to tell you, Anyone who's hearing, find someone and say, if you thirst, come. Just come. Come to this source of living water. Come to Christ. Receive God's finished work. And it's such a blessing for you and I to be able to say, yes, yes, I am here to testify that Jesus Christ is the satisfaction and satisfies the wrath of God for my sin and for our sins here. But not only for us, this gift is also for the whole world. God gave a gift to the world. Let us tell them, oh, he has come and he has done the work. And now all we have to do is take this present and make it ours. Amen? Father, we are so, so grateful for you and this gift. And we were so grateful, Lord, that, that we can go to anyone and know that we are not lying, that we can say, Jesus died for you. And anyone who comes to us says, did Jesus die for me? Can, can I accept this gift? We can say with all of our heart, yes, of course. The spirit and the bride say come. Everyone who heard says come. If you thirst, you can take freely, but you have to take it. And it is yours. Oh, receive this gift. Oh, those who are here who have received, you know how refreshing it is. You know this gift gets deeper and more richer every time we read another verse, every time we go through another chapter, every time we go through another book. Jesus, you and your work become richer and deeper and more beautiful and more awesome. And we worship you because of it. But at the same time, we want others to partake of this. And I can't give it to them. You can't give it to them. We can't give them to the Lord. Only you can. Open up their hearts, open up their, their, their minds, open up their eyes so they could see the beauty of this gift with their name on it and let them realize that without this gift, there is no access. Without receiving it, there's no access. If you're not taking of this water, there's no refreshing. So do the work through your spirit. Help us boldly proclaim to all the world, come, come, come. Receive the gift. Be refreshed. Drink of the water of life. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all the saints of God said, amen. amen.